Welcome to the seventh episode of the 1796 Podcast, a monthly podcast that features exclusive interviews and in-depth news about the Tennessee Military Department and the Tennessee National Guard. The 1796 Podcast is produced every month by the Airmen and Soldiers of the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Malone. And I'm Captain Hall, your co-hosts of the 1796 Podcast. On this episode, it's all about cops. The military men and women who serve as law enforcement officers. We'll hear from Command Sergeant Major Michael Plemons of the 194th Engineering Brigade, who spent years in the Army's military police branch. We'll also hear from Chief Master Sergeant Anthony Harvey, the 164th Airlift Wing Security Forces Manager. And of course, we'll brief you on the latest and most important news impacting the Tennessee National Guard in our Tennessee Bluff News segment. First up, Lieutenant Colonel Malone sits down with Command Sergeant Major Michael Plemons. Thank you, Captain Hall. We really appreciate it. Well, we at the 1796 Podcast are thrilled to have with us today Sergeant Major Mike Plemons, and he is an experienced Army military policeman, and we're going to talk to him a little day about that. I will let you know today we are remote. We are actually in his hometown of Etowah, Tennessee, at a local... Uh, coffee shop so if you hear a little background noise that's why so mike sergeant major welcome to the podcast we're thrilled to have you all right thank you sir uh first off tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are in the tennessee national guard okay uh yeah it's actually uh, it's kind of a dare uh i had a cousin that joined the guard and uh you know he was like hey you're not going to do anything in your life you know working in a factory and stuff so i joined the guard on a dare and uh, in 1991 and uh I really, I didn't enjoy the guard my first year in. Uh, it just wasn't for me at that time, and I actually got out of the guard after a year, year and a half, and I went active duty for five years. Uh, after serving five years uh, in some great units, uh, I, I then came back into the Tennessee National Guard in 1998 and uh, uh, transitioned uh, with the big deployment with the 278th in 04 and 05, and then when we came back and it was, uh, hey, you know, this first squadron's going away. We're moving to West Tennessee. What would you like to do? We're going to become MPs. And I uh, became an MP and uh, haven't really looked back. Deployed as an MP uh, in uh, 9 and 10 and 14 and 15. And uh, just climbed the ranks and uh, became a battalion CSM and, and now I'm a brigade CSM for uh, the 194th Engineer Brigade. Awesome. That's awesome. So, Sergeant Major, many of your soldiers are actually police officers in their civilian careers. You're, you're a drill status guardsman or a, yes. an M-Day soldier. And so how does being in the military police help us in the Guard and help them on the civilian side as police officers? Well, one thing about being an MP is, uh, you know, they go through the training uh, and they get certified. And you're pretty much, you know, you're on your own. You know, if, if they have a law and order mission... You know, this kid gets issued a 9mm and he gets put out on point uh, doing a security detail or something. He's, he's pretty much on his own. So a big growing up uh, uh, process early on uh, for a young MP. And so with, with some of our soldiers uh, in our ranks being, uh, being police officers, it just brings a level of professionalism uh, to our ranks. And uh, they, can, uh, they can spot stuff quicker than just a traditional soldier can and it just it's just it works out well mm-hmm. yeah 
So uh, military police is, I dare say, one of the most deployable assets in the National Guard. Yes, it is. What, what's, what's, what's your unit's deployment tempo like, and, and how do you positively affect national security? How do M- MPs help the overall oh, yeah. big picture? It's just, uh, whether it's state or federal, I mean, just for the hi- historic version, uh, I've, I've sent uh, platoons to Peru. Uh, uh, they MPs go to Italy, Germany to do uh, law and order missions. Guantanamo Bay, Iraq, Afghanistan. There's just so much out there that uh, that we get the call. And uh, and as far as the state mission, I mean, civil disturbance, uh, the fires in Gatlinburg. We have in the past we've trained uh, police organizations in different countries. Uh, we've actually got a, a pretty good partnership right now with Bulgaria uh, that follows along with the state uh, partnership program uh, with the rest of uh, the MACOMs within the state. Uh, also, we, we uh, pick up customs missions where uh, if, a, if a unit goes into a theater, uh, they're having to clear equipment and personnel uh, for the, the theater, theater sustainment command groups uh, all out of... Uh, of Kuwait and everywhere so it's just so many jobs there's three military disciplines and I think there's about 60 something subtasks mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. missions that 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 they can effectively uh, can do so. well you may have just answered my next next question <laughs> why why would a potential crew want to be a military policeman well being an MP in East Tennessee is still relatively new uh, we just oh you know 117th here in Athens, Tennessee, just started up in 2006 uh, after the, after the big major deployment, uh, uh, and it's just it brings a level of professionalism, and uh, there is a, a larger scale of discipline. They have to understand, you know, and grow up real quick just to be an MP. Mm-hmm. So, how does being a, an, an MP affect your relationship with your family and friends, or does it? A lot of times, uh, and we've talked, you know, you you have to have that bag packed almost, Mm -hmm. and uh, and my wife knows. Back when I was, uh, you know, battalion CSM or even a first sergeant, you know, uh, you know, we're we're always ready, and it seemed like at that time I could I could uh, I could actually get a hundred people together in just a few hours just to be anywhere in the state if if needed for tornadoes or or civil disturbance or anything. I mean, I think it's a great recruiting tool being an MP because. You know, some of my family and friends do say, hey, uh, Mike Clemens there, he's an MP, and then I always get kids coming up asking questions. And, and you know, when you're out in your community, you're, you're trying to be a recruiter for the state mm-hmm. as well. So. so a military police person won the annual Adjutant General's pistol match and the annual Adjutant General's rifle match, the, the marksmanship competitions this year. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, it was a female. It was the same one, right? Same person, yeah, one both, same one. right? Yeah. So how does your training make your troops so lethal? Not just her, but well, all of them. I mean, anybody can shoot. Mm-hmm. If you just pay attention, uh, go through the training uh, before you qualify, and that's what this soldier does. She, Every year, you know, I've probably given her four or five coins because she's that great of a shot. And, and finally, you know, we talked her into competing at the mm-hmm. next level in the tag match and stuff. And... And it was just amazing. But uh, as far as uh, females being MPs, I mean, you know, historically, you know, that's the quickest way for them uh, to get to the front line, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before they opened up all the MOSs here a couple yeah. years ago. But uh, we've got some, we, we actually have some tough females that's awesome. in our MP Corps. All right, what are some of your major roles your teams play 
if the, the domestic operations button gets pushed? If y'all get tapped here in Tennessee, what are you probably going to go do? What are the most likely things you might do? Um, well, this time of year, uh, there's a hurricane coming. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. so probably in my career, we've been stood up about eight or ten times mm-hmm. for hurricane response. And, uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll actually know in the next coming few days, weeks, months, uh, uh, what's coming for us? Uh, usually, tornado response. Uh, uh, just, just, just whatever comes, we'll do it. I mean, we've stood on the steps of the Capitol with 200 strong MPs, mm-hmm. and uh, and I know you remember that. And uh, you know, we we tackled the COVID mission, and uh, I got to go all over the state with with some great uh, soldiers, and, and we got a lot of things accomplished. Where do you see the law enforcement career in the Army going? Are there any changes coming down that that might be? might be relevant uh occasionally uh you know some of the uh, strength will change we'll, we'll lose a few seats but we always gain a few back as far as equipment wise uh, we did we ha- actually have got some new equipment and uh i'm on a uh, cif board where we're actually trying to get more equipment uh, some better better stuff for uh for our soldiers that you know we get kicked out the door quickly we need some we need some better gear and uh and we we do have good great gear right now. And we you know we've got the Mat V's, we've got the new M17 pistol, but there's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a bunch of us just get together and, and, and try to outfit these soldiers with what mm-hmm. they need to get out the door. Well, Sergeant Major, there's a federal movement I've heard to make military police actual federal law enforcement officers upon coming out of their initial training. How will this affect your formations? How does this affect the MP community? Well, if it's actually, if it's out there, it's going to be great for our organization and for our strength because you're essentially, you're just saying, hey, you know, you become an MP in the Guard and and I've got you a job right here in the civilian world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even in my hometown right here, there are short police officers in the county. I mean, it's just, it's hard to get a seasoned kid, uh, especially a young kid, uh, you know, that's that's already experienced to to do this job. And, uh, you know, it is a hard job. doing law enforcement but uh, that would be great that would be a great recruiting tool for the state of Tennessee if that was if that was out there awesome all right we'd like to ask our our seasoned personnel that come on the (laughs) podcast what is your one piece of advice from a seasoned member of the National Guard for the younger troops listening out there yeah Uh, my advice would be uh, listen to your NCOs Uh, you're gonna have to grow up quickly so definitely you know, they, they kind of need to wait their turn mm-hmm. and get seasoned mm-hmm. because, like I say, it is a eat you alive uh, yeah. position and yeah. a job out there that they have to they have to be uh, they have to be settled down and, and to learn this stuff. So. Yes, experience is an excellent exactly yes. exactly awesome. Well, Sergeant Major Plemons, thank you so much for yeah. coming on the podcast. Yeah, awesome. We really appreciate it. Thank you for hosting us here All right. at the coffee shop. This yeah. is fabulous. So awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Up first this month in the Tennessee Bluff. Tennessee is answering the call in the wake of Hurricane Ian. The Tennessee Emergency Management Agency, also known as TEMA, has deployed two teams of 911 emergency response personnel to Florida to help with local first responders answering emergency calls and dispatching resources in Hurricane Ian's aftermath. The telecommunications emergency response teams deployed to Collier County, Florida and include a total of 26 members representing municipalities from across the volunteer state. TEMA is coordinating Tennessee's Hurricane Ian deployments through the Emergency Management Assistance Compact, 
an agreement between states to provide assistance during emergencies. The task force will deploy for 14 days and provide critical telecommunication support. The support from TEMA is in addition to Tennessee Army and Air National Guard personnel supporting the hurricane recovery in Florida. And in other news, the Tennessee State Guard has a new commander. Retired Army Colonel Kevin Stewart was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General and assumed command of the State Guard during a ceremony at Joint Force Headquarters on October 1st. The Tennessee State Guard is an all-volunteer force that supports the state mission of the Tennessee National Guard to assist civil authorities with disaster relief, humanitarian causes, ceremonial service, and religious and medical support for the well-being and safety of the citizenry of Tennessee. Stewart assumed command from retiring State Guard Brigadier General Juan Santiago, who has been the commander of the State Guard since December of 2020. And in national news impacting the Guard, with only days remaining before the funding deadline, both chambers of Congress approved a continuing resolution that will be in effect until December 16, 2022. The President signed the short-term measure Friday, which will keep federal agencies operating at current funding levels until the December deadline. Both chambers of Congress are now in recess until after Election Day. And speaking of Election Day, voter registration is open until Tuesday, October 11th, and you can register online through the Tennessee Secretary of State's website. Election Day is November 8th. Visit sos.tn.gov for more information. That's our Tennessee Bluff for this month. Up next, Lieutenant Colonel Malone sits down with Chief Master Sergeant Anthony Harvey. Thank you very much, Captain Hall. We appreciate that. So I am here with Chief Anthony Harvey. He is the 164th Security Forces Senior Enlisted Leader. He's the Chief Master Sergeant of the, of the Police Force, the Security Forces here at the 164th in Memphis. And we are thrilled to have you with us, Chief Harvey. Hey, I'm glad to be here, sir. First off, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to be where you are in your, in your National Guard career. So I started about 25 years ago, just over 25 years ago, uh, 96, I came in. Uh, during that time, the security force was actually split into three different uh, career fields. You had security police, you had law enforcement, and you had combat arms. At that time, security police did the nuclear security. They also did air-based ground defense. And then the law enforcement did the law enforcement aspect of, of the of the Air Force. So those were three separate career fields. Three separate career fields. And shortly after, around 97, uh, they actually merged into one career field, security forces. And so it wasn't that much time. However, you know, you do that initial training, uh, and then I had to do the training again afterwards to get the law enforcement side mm -hmm. of it. Shortly after that, I actually uh, went into combat arms as an instructor, went back to school, and I taught Air Force members how to fire the weapon systems that we use, the M16, the M9, all the machine guns that we utilized. So 240, 249. As I became a tech sergeant, master sergeant, went back into the, the career field as a security forces flight leader, and then ultimately security forces superintendent. And about three and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to come down here to Memphis to interview for the chief master sergeant position, the senior enlisted position for security forces, and was selected. Honestly, this has been the greatest portion of my career. Uh, some really great individuals uh, that this, this squadron has. Individuals in this squadron definitely take care of each other. So it, it's a great squadron, and it, it's been a really unique opportunity. That's awesome. So many of your airmen, your security forces defenders, are also police officers in their civilian careers. What's the mutual benefit? 
How does their department benefit? How do we in the Air National Guard benefit? So a little bit of both. So right now we have 15 members that are currently at law enforcement with local law enforcement, whether it be in the Memphis area, Shelby County, and some of the the outlying police departments. We also have a couple federal law enforcement officers that are part of our squadron. And then we also have 11 members that are that were formal law enforcement. And I think the benefit between how we mutually support each other is with the training. And so they bring an experience from the outside into the career field. They bring their, their real world experience into the military. And then what we do is we take some of that military experience back into their local law enforcement. So we can, pro- we can provide some of the training that they would get with their departments, or we have a different opportunity for a lot of different trainings uh, with a lot of our mutual aid agreements. Get individuals over here uh, on the military side, get that law enforcement, real world police experience, and then they get some of that, that professionalism that we provide in the military, some of that professional development, professional military education that they can go back to their civilian law enforcement and bring that leadership tip back. All right, so you're on the street and, 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 you're, and you're talking to a young person. How do you convince them that security forces is their career field to go into? Well, one of the things that, that we do is uh, we try to sell the experience and the expectation. We allow the recruiters to sell the benefits, the, the bonuses, the, the college repayment or the college funding we mostly look at the experience. So I want an individual that wants to be security forces. Our leadership wants individuals that want to be security forces. We're upfront, honest, exactly what security forces is. It's being in the field. It's doing the hard work, uh, patrolling, you know, away from the bases. It's, I would say it's not typical Air Force uh, environments that we're going to go into. Security forces is more uh, Army-centric than it is Air-centric. A lot of our information comes from FM 7-8, the the infantry uh, manual. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to sell to our airmen is exactly if they want to become a defender, if they want to come into security forces, this is what what the experience. And so if they're looking to to go the law enforcement route uh, in in their future and they, they have aspiration to be, uh, go to a local PD, we can definitely help that. Um, because they're going to get some of that training. We definitely want individuals that that strong mindset uh, for this career field. Yeah, cool. So that that recruiter's looking for somebody with a propensity to serve. You're looking for a particular mindset. Correct. Good stuff. Yes, sir. All right, you in the Security Forces career field here in Tennessee just hosted a multi-agency patrol course. Tell me how that successful course came to be and why is it important? Yes. Uh, so the Active Defense Patrol Course uh, is really the brainchild of, of three individuals. You have Chief Master Sergeant Ron Hartley, who used to be at uh, Joint Force Headquarters. You have Master Sergeant John Hogue uh, from the 164th and Master Sergeant Travis McNatt at the 164th. And so it's seen that the way the career field had kind of moved away from air-based ground defense into a more law enforcement-centric role, they saw that there was some skill sets that were eroding away. Uh, and this is kind of before the Air Force even you know, mandated the Defender Next initiative. Uh, so they were actually kind of seeing where the career field was going, needed a bit of a course correction at the local level, started bringing some of these skill sets. At the same time, we had airmen that were 
competing in the Tennessee National Guard Best Warrior Competition alongside their, their Army brethren to ensure that our individuals had some of these skill sets to be able to compete at that level. They devised this course, and this course kind of came out of a thought process at Best Warrior, but I think it originated when all three or well, two of the individuals went to Denmark through their defense uh, patrol course over there. They brought this idea back. They kind of talked about it uh, about three years ago, uh, three and a half years ago. Basically, what the course entails is bringing back those troop leading procedures, ground combat skills, the tactical casualty care, the land navigation, combat patrols, recon patrols, individual and team movements uh, on on the battlefield. And so bringing back that. And so what the course uh, basically is a 15-day course. It's about 150 hours in total. Expected to ruck well over uh, 70 miles throughout the course. To date, uh, they've had uh, 84 individuals, or excuse me, being instructed on 84 Army and Air individual tasks. The class delivers, is basically delivered in an austere environment. And so what that provides is that gets them ready for the new uh, agile combat employment of, of being able to deploy to a location, operate out of that location, self-sustain for a couple of days, and then moving on to another location and to another location over and over and over again as needed. So they've gone through three iterations of this course. Uh, both Army and Air have gone through this course, and this last year we were actually able to bring in our state partnership partners uh, from Bulgaria. So we had two individuals from the Bulgarian Air Force go through the course as well. And what it really provides for the state of Tennessee is that interoperability, one, with our NATO partners, and two, between our air and army assets uh, on the ground. And so we have that interoperability. And I think Tennessee has one of the best states that has that opportunity, in my own opinion. Awesome. And, we, and so I've already planning next year's patrol course. Uh, yes, right now they are. Uh, Master Sergeant Hogue uh, here at the 164th actually has uh, all his planning, and they're right at it. The last course ended in August, and they're right back at uh, getting ready for the next uh, next year's That's course. great. And speaking of that interoperability, let's talk about when something happens in Tennessee, right? The balloon goes up in Tennessee, there's flooding or some natural disaster tornado. Uh, what might security forces be doing if they're called up to help out with that? So one of the things that uh, you'll see security forces do is usually be attached with local law enforcement. Uh, When we're doing domestic operations, whether it be after a natural disaster like the tornadoes that came through, usually we're helping out with traffic control points. We could be assigned to other duties, helping out civil engineers, moving equipment if we have individuals that are tasked on certain uh, equipment equipment, but most of those are going to be law enforcement tasks. We've seen this also in 2020 when uh, we had the the civil disturbance operations in in Memphis. Shortly after the George Floyd incident in in, in Minneapolis, we were able to send individuals from the 164 downtown attached to the the NGRF, basically provide security or protection for uh, some of the federal resources that we have downtown Memphis. So one of the other things that we're providing is that U.S. citizens could go ahead and demonstrate their constitutional right to demonstrate. Sure. And so and, and to do that in a safe, uh, safe manner. And I think that's some of the reasons why Memphis had very peaceful demonstrations is because the local law enforcement, along with the National Guard, Air National Guard, 
we were there not to stop them from their demonstration. We were there to, to help allow them to have that constitutional right and provide a, an area safe for them to do so. Excellent. All right, so where do you see the security forces career field going? What's coming next? What's out there in the future for your defenders? So there's a few things. One, we're kind of moving into, we have what's called the Defender Next Initiative. And Defender Next is basically making old what, what was old new again. So over the last 10 years, we've kind of made security forces very LE-centric. And then we've made that into our foundation. And really with our future wars, we need to go back to the foundation being air-based ground defense and being defenders first and then law enforcement as a function of air-based defense. Mm-hmm. That's what the Air Force is doing right now. They have changes coming to the initial tech school. They have changes coming to other courses. They're bringing back a combat leaders course. They're bringing back integrated defense command and control course. They are bringing back more of that air-based ground defense foundation into the career field. So that's going to be number one. Law enforcement is going to be number two. Gotcha. And so we've, we talked a lot about patrol course. You just mentioned some courses. You, your defenders had opportunity to go to the Army cold weather course. Uh, what was that like, and what are you planning to do with that next? So the last three years, we actually gone through, uh, we sent Airmen and Army from Tennessee uh, to Fort McCoy, uh, Wisconsin, uh, during the winter to go through the cold weather operations course. And so individuals uh, learn how to maneuver in cold environments, how to utilize their equic system, proper laying of clothing, how to operate in sub-zero environment. And so the Arctic and subarctic environment. And so the course is, again, another 15-day course, almost all entirely in the field. The culmination will be the individuals go through uh, a six-day FTX where they're in the field for a portion of it. They have their tents to be able to operate out of, uh, to do patrols from. And then halfway through the course, they take away the tents, and then they have to start building their own cold-weather thermal shelters uh, from whatever is available, trees, limbs, uh, brush, those type of items, or whatever they packed with them. And they'll also do some more patrolling, recon patrols, combat patrols throughout the course. The end of the course, they all do a cold weather immersion. They go in and and jump into a a frozen lake uh, to understand if if it were to happen, if you're doing a water crossing and fall in the water, these are what you have to do to get your members out and get them to safety. And so uh, the course is cold weather operations course, but it's more than that. It's a leadership course. Each individual has a portion where they become a leader. It's a physical course. It's a resiliency course. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that you can't teach resiliency in a classroom. Resiliency has to be experienced. And so here's where individuals can go do the hard stuff, right, be challenged. At some point in time, they will be ultimately challenged through that course, whether it be the cold weather, whether it be the the long days and the long marches that they do, or jumping in that water, Mm -hmm. right? But, you know, you, you get resilient because you, you get the reward at the end. And the reward is, one, knowing that you're able to do it. You survived. You came out uninjured. You did it as a team. And so you have all those pillars of resiliency being utilized while you're in the course. You depend on other individuals. You need other individuals. You've gone through it together, and you all get to uh, experience the benefit when you're done. So it's a great course. And so this year we're going to provide the course. The contract that used to provide the course has been has expired. Now we're going to go ahead and put on the course ourselves organically by going up and utilizing the equipment we used in the past 
uh, from Fort McCoy and uh, put on the class yourself. Well, that sounds <clears throat> terrible. I will not be a volunteer for that. <laughs> but I hope it's successful. Maybe we can do a follow-up with you when that comes around. Yes, sir. All right, Chief. I got one last question. When we have a seasoned member of the National Guard with us, we like to ask them, for our younger listeners, for our junior airmen and soldiers that might be listening, what's your one piece of leadership advice for them? My one piece of uh, advice would be take every opportunity that comes to you, whether it be specialized training, a deployment, a special duty assignment, get after it. Cold do weather it. course. Cold weather course. <laughs> yeah, get after it. Go do it. Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you, you don't take. Uh, with that said, I mean, some of my best experience in, in my 25 and a half years being in the Air National Guard has been from deployments, special training, or any kind of special assignment. You know, you meet, you meet new people, you grow your network, get everything out of it, right? The Air National Guard is going to get what they need out of you, but you should probably get everything you want out of it too, right? So let it be a mutual. Chief Harvey, great advice and great information about security forces. Thank you so much for being on the 1796 podcast. I appreciate it, Colonel. Thank you. Thank you. Captain Hall, back to you. Thanks for listening to the 1796 podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing, sharing this episode with friends, and giving us a five-star review. The 1796 podcast is produced by the Tennessee National Guard Joint Public Affairs Office. For more information, please visit www.tn.gov backslash military.